0: we need to move away from performative allyship and into true allyship and i think that is about self-education but not to the purpose of validating yourself It's it's to the purpose of bettering society you know and i think at the moment people are stuck in that phase of self-betterment which is fine because it does start with the individual but you have to learn to transcend that at the end of the day when you educate yourself it isn't so you can just sit there and amass in your in your knowledge it's so that you can better your future and you can better others and you can share that knowledge it's it becomes a group exercise it becomes about society
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new season of Brown Don't Frown, a podcast which was inspired by my own personal story and journey with womanhood and feminism. It's a podcast where we celebrate new perspectives and unconventional thinking. Brown Don't Frown seeks to build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down the prejudice and assumptions about different passions, opinions and cultures and shines a light on the stories of underrepresented women who do not fit the typical criteria or ideals of mainstream feminism. I am your host, Tani Hardcastle. Stay tuned for what we hope to be an informative, engaging and thought-provoking season three. We have some incredible guests lined up, including other podcasters changemakers in the fields of climate change, artificial intelligence, technology, environmental campaigns, South Asian mental health awareness and bereavement, as well as personal stories in the wake of Black Lives Matter. If you have thoughts or comments or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast in any way, please do feel free to get in touch at browndontfrownpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and stay safe. Welcome. Today we talk about institutional racism, colonialism and the transatlantic experience. I'm delighted to introduce you all to Angie Crystal, a writer. Welcome, Angie.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Although we are not face to face, which is a bit of a shame. It would be nice yeah. to see you in person. I guess you can tell us a bit more about yourself if you'd
0: like to before we delve into the questions. My name's Angie Crystal, Crystal Angie. Bit fancy. Um, I am a writer and I guess part-time, leisurely social commentator really. I normally don't write about the heavier topics, but I just write about what moves me and I guess my experience, whether that's as a black British woman or um just as a millennial that's kind of nav- navigating through the waters. So yeah, um that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. We can start off with a bit of a warm-up question mm-hmm.
1: before we delve into the more grittier stuff. But if you had to summarize it in three words what does Black Lives Matter mean to you?
0: As much as it is a warmer question, I do think that considering the time in which we are kind of sitting down to this podcast, I think it's important that we navigate and differentiate between the two. So there's Black Lives Matter, the hashtag, and then there's also the movement. And I think that, and there's also the organisations. And I think that people are, um, whether ill intent or not are sort of mixing up the two um, and for me as a black British woman I would say that it's the movement that's more important and I think it's just about a time for change nobody is unaware of the injustices and the inequality that exists in our society but I think it's It's one thing, you know, being aware of it. Another thing, doing something about it actively. So, yeah, for me, I think this time that we're in is basically people coming together and saying, okay, like, you know, it's the time for change now. This is enough is enough.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting how you made the distinction between the hashtag and the wider movement because i think yeah a lot of people associate the hashtag with just a particular experience or a particular time whereas the movement is more broadly about systemic change which is going to take more than a few months or you know a hashtag or a particular event i'm not trying to undermine any particular events you know for example the murder of george floyd i'm not saying that's irrelevant i'm saying that there's there's a bigger thing to be taken from this to enact um, broader change as you've said and um, yeah i, I agree it's time for change
0: and i think that what happens is is that people tend to put such a focus on one particular incident and so then what i guess naysayers or people who oppose or as they've actually been named anti you know people who are against anti-racism mm. which would be what an anti anti-racism <laughs> these people have decided to pick apart you know, the murder of George Floyd, and they found loopholes in it, or what they've considered to be loopholes. They've, you know, found ways to pick it apart, found ways to um, attack his humanity, you know, mm. and I think that's what tends to happen when a human or one sole event is at the focal point of a movement. Mm. Um, and I think, people need to do is they need to use their deductive reasoning, which they are capable of. And they need to understand that this was just a catalyst. It was the boiling point for people who are in America and people who are here as well, who've seen things like this happen and occur time and time and time again. And I think, you know, it's it's a trigger point. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's all about George Floyd. It just means that we all had to horrifically stand by and see this man die. We can... Tend to fall into a trap of, it's all about George Floyd. No, it isn't. At the end of the day, you know, the, there was Ahmaud Avery there was Breonna Taylor, but there's also the injustices that happen here every day. You know, yeah. so I think, like you said, it's the movement, and that doesn't, you know, doesn't begin and end with a protest. It's it's about action, and Continue that, yeah, exactly, that transcends, yeah. yeah, a time, just one time. You know, so yeah.
1: Yeah, and particularly, I think, both in America and the UK, and I'm sure in other parts of the world, it's a build-up of microaggressions over a period of time where Absolutely. people get to a tipping point. And this is what, Absolutely. as you said, was a catalyst and triggered Absolutely. people um, to the point where they, it literally was the tipping point and they thought, I'm not dealing with this anymore. And it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing how it empowered so many people. People from Definitely. very different ends of the scales, for example, people from completely different backgrounds who previously were ignorant about these issues and who were able to come forward and admit that um was definitely something that I've not seen previously in other
0: Mm -hmm. Black
1: Lives Matter events I guess if you want to boil it down to that
0: yeah definitely um I think we have seen a uprising in allyship um I guess not all allies are you know true allies but at the same time I think we are living in unprecedented times and I think that's a a phrase that we've coined Mm -hmm. um, to do with the coronavirus and to do with COVID-19 lockdown but when you think about you know 2020 as a whole unprecedented times you know I mean I don't think we've ever had people stand up and say enough is enough alongside with us in such an open manner as this and for it to trigger as such a response as it has it, it is it's it's unfounded we've not seen anything like it so i think now the conversation needs to be about how you know if we don't slow down that momentum i think is really integral and really important
1: yeah absolutely and um, a lot of it has been symbolic as well so for example with the statues being taken down and replaced mm-hmm. that is yeah. full-blown yeah symbolism and a lot of people absolutely. say you know why is it relevant but i think it really does. Um, yeah, build momentum as you said, and also build morale as well. It empowers people to enact systemic change, which is what is necessary.
0: Absolutely. I think and even with the statues, I think <laughs> I think what's funny about that is the fact that, you know, we as a nation in the UK were very known for being quite politically correct and quite polite. Yeah. And I think sometimes that can do more harm than good and I think you know when the movement first erupted there was a lot of discourse in the media from politicians who were adamant that you know the UK what quote-unquote was not as bad as America mm. and I think it was funny that they would say this you know not only in their private conversations but on tv on national tv whilst all around the country there are monuments put up to slave owners it it it, it, the, it the two doesn't you know it doesn't really correlate it doesn't make sense at all so yeah to see that kind of symbolism i think was very important absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. and I guess historically, feminism has been pretty white-centred. The civil rights discourse in relation to racism, both in the UK and across the pond in the US, has been a movement led by black men. And as a British, a black British woman, do you feel a sense of dissonance between Black Lives Matter, the movement, and more broadly, mainstream feminism?
0: I absolutely do, absolutely. I think, at the end of the day, I mean, feminism, is, is such a broad topic in and of itself but I do think that mainstream feminism for a very long time I think even up to this day it doesn't take into consideration intersectionality at all mm. and I think you know it tends to there tends to be this blanket approach to oh women are fighting against sexism or you know and um, feminists are against sexism or um inequality between the genders but I think what that tends to not take into account is that when you're fighting against this inequality you're not taking into account black women and women of other ethnicities who have to not only you know fight for inequality in the sense of them being female but also against them being an ethnic minority you -hmm. know and especially black women um and i think it mainstream feminism does unfortunately have a tendency to remove colour from the narrative. Um and it, it doesn't there's no safe space. There's no there's no space for them to sort of at least understand that, you know, this is a it's a war on two fronts and it's it's very tiresome war, I think, you know, because you go to work and you know we're all aware of the pay gap between men and women, but then yeah, nobody exactly. even thinks no one thinks to run, you know, the the data or the statistics against the pay gap between men, women, white men and black women. Mm. Nobody tends to think yeah. about that. And so when you have these disgruntlements, which I faced in my own working career, nobody tends to keep an, an ear out for it. Uh, nobody wants to hear you, nobody listens. And I think it's actually quite interesting because in this climate where we are all in our homes and we're in lockdown and as a nation here and even in america people are afraid of this disease that we've not we've not heard of before we've not seen before and it's interesting that you know the 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 sort of protagonists and the sort of people you see that are on the streets antagonizing people have tended to be you know women who are white who are caucasian and you see that in a time where you kind of want to look to your counterparts to rise up and say okay yeah absolutely this isn't right and this is what's happening i don't think we can we've always been able to count on them as allies at all Mm -hmm. and so um, something that i've also found quite interesting was also um the me too movement yeah right do you remember when that when that happened yeah and
1: yeah it was just a tendency to group all women together um, absolutely. and i guess the, the argument for that is that oh if you start bringing race and social class into this then it's going to be divisive all women need to be united but in doing so they're completely negating all the other impacts that minority women have you know, disabled women have that people of various classes have and by just putting them all under one group umbrella and just saying this is this applies to everyone.
0: Not all experiences are the same and I think you know it it was quite interesting to me that not that many people know that Me Too wasn't it wasn't a Hollywood movement you know it was founded by Tamara Burke a black woman who was severely interested in investing invested in bringing light and shedding light to the fact that underage women or women of all ages were actually being, you know, sexually harassed um, because they were underprivileged and because they're not as protected. And the movement picked up, but then arguably you could say it was hijacked by white women in Hollywood. And it, it no longer became about those voices, those ethnic minority voices who could not speak out for themselves and who needed someone to speak for them. It became about what was happening in Hollywood, which is absolutely fine because those stories needed to be heard. Absolutely. But so did yeah. You know? So I think and that's what that's what I go to when I think about how, you know, mainstream feminism, it doesn't it doesn't consider intersectionality. And I think it tends to run but run towards the umbrella term at the expense of these other voices. That's really, right, yeah.
1: And I think much of this tendency to homogenize different groups, um, comes from this, I guess, need to acknowledge, I think white women need to acknowledge that they have benefited from the white male patriarchy to an extent more so than other women of ethnic minorities have. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about, you know, white middle-class women, I'm t- not talking about working class. I'm talking about the, the elite basically who have benefited mm-hmm. from the male, white male patriarchy. Um, In various ways, you know, we've looked at things like the suffragettes movement, which was absolutely about women's right to vote, but then at the expense of other groups, you know, who were, yeah, minority women whose voices weren't really listened to. And it's got to be much more than at the surface level we've seen, you know, nowadays, you know, since the the tragic murder of George Floyd, we've seen a lot of people come forward and question themselves, which is absolutely right. You should be interrogating yourself on a daily basis in terms of your own ignorances. But mm-hmm. things like you know watching films with all-white casts or re-evaluating our homogenous friendship groups—we've—it's become basically a preoccupation with our own selves. We've sort of wanted to self-validate, and it's become a, a basically a self-absorption exercise to me. And mm-hmm. people seem to be more concerned with protecting their own reputations, than figuring out, out what they actually need to learn. And the most constructive thing we should really be doing collectively is just to simply listen reflect and learn from the experiences of black people particularly black women and um, when it comes to intersectional feminism
0: absolutely I think you said it perfectly I think you know, it, it has become an exercise in in self-validation definitely and it's almost like it becomes a conversation of how how do I check my privilege mm-hmm. and it's like okay we've established it there is such a thing as white privilege we've established that you have in some way shape or form benefited from it but now let's shift the conversation it's almost it should now be okay like how can I put that privilege to good use or you know how can I how can I learn without burdening my my black friends or my Mm. black colleagues or you know without making it about me I think it has been the it's become very self-centric and it needs to transcend that Mm. I think in order for it to not to become a stagnant movement, it needs yeah. to. We need to move away from performative allyship and into true allyship, and I think that is about self-education, but not to the right. purpose of validating yourself. It's to it's to the purpose of bettering society, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think at the moment people are stuck in that phase of self-betterment which is fine because it does start with the individual but you have to learn to transcend that at the end of the day when you educate yourself it isn't so you can just sit there and in your in your knowledge it's so that you can better your future and you can better others and you can share that knowledge it's it becomes a group exercise it becomes about society as a whole and i think that people have become quite stuck in that sense of okay wow you know this is offensive I'm, I'm going to stop saying this and then i'm going to run to the nearest social media platform and announce that i stopped doing this thing so that people can you know give me my ally cookie but it's not it, it's not about that anymore i think mm. when it becomes about that you're still muting those voices that you're claiming to be an ally to so who is actually helping who and who is actually winning in this situation nobody yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. You know so i think and especially when you see things like i think it's great that you mentioned about you know watching a netflix movie and seeing that it is the majority the majority of the cast are white and i think what happens is you get into a conversation of tokenism and it's almost that you see that yes there's there's black characters in the film okay well done but what are they portraying Yes what it's usually what's trauma character? or
1: negative experiences or absolutely not, it's it's like, trauma
0: it's negative experiences it's the it's a sidekick it's the um, the comedic strong black woman you know it's it's, it's nether about a true portrayal of a black woman's experience hardly ever do you see that and when you do you then get it becomes divisive it becomes watered down and I think it's quite interesting that you know people notice these things but then they tend to want to focus on the the trivial things so for example um, removing an episode of Golden Girls because they were in mud masks (laughs) and they said it was offensive (laughs) and it was like do you think we stupid like we're not we're not so e- easily satiated by these things that like this is not that doesn't make us feel better at the end of the day nobody is silly here we understand that it's a mud mask nobody yes. has,
1: you know That's ridiculous. like ridiculous yeah they're absolutely. focusing on the
0: wrong thing there uh, it's it's almost like a misdirection and I think what it does is as well it floods the narrative it floods the narrative and what it and what it puts across is a message that black people are being unreasonable now I can't see any article any speech any interview where a black person said they were offended by the episode of Golden Gate (laughs) or that they were offended by the fact that the biggest room in the house is called the master bedroom nobody yeah no no that's too hard and so then what you do you flood the narrative with it looking like we are being they're they're um, trivializing it they're making a caricature out of it and it is it's a parody and what happens is now you flood it and it becomes about you know silly renamings of of tv programs and and parts of your bedroom when really all we're asking for is equal treatment exactly that's it An
1: equitable treatment more importantly.
0: Absolutely.
1: Do you think that the UK will ever get behind its colonial past? Um, why or why not? And secondly, do you believe in reparations?
0: Whew, those are big ones. They are. (laughs) Those are, (laughs) Those are big ones. Okay, so um easy to answer do I think the UK will ever get behind its colonial past um no I don't um I do not the reason why I say that is because I think in order to get past it and get move on from something I think you adequately have to address it and accept it Mm. and I think there's been almost a whitewashing of you know, the great British empire. And if you ask British people, if, you know, they're proud that we were this huge empire and, you know, Britain was a mighty force. Absolutely they are, absolutely they are. But when they say things like this, they forget that being an empire and being, you know, a colonial power means that you had to colonize somewhere. That's right. And that means that somebody else is on the receiving end of that power someone else have
1: had to be subjugated at the expense
0: of your subjugated growth. at the expense of your growth exponential growth as a nation and they tend to forget that or they tend to not want to highlight that even in our education system yeah, it's, it's not highlighted matter. it's not focused on it's you know it, it they almost not trivialize it but they almost make it a beautiful thing when it is glorified yeah it's absolutely glorified tanya to the point where it's like okay but you do realize that there are so many nations in this world that celebrate independence day right Yeah, yeah 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 and it's called a celebration but in actuality it's actually a very sad thing because it means that there was a country on this earth that was that was minding their business living their life, whether they were kings, farmers, tradesmen, fishermen, whatever the case. And they were colonized by a country that was halfway across the world. And they had to fight to regain that sovereignty and we celebrate it and it becomes a, an annual celebration every year but in actual fact it's actually a very very distressing thought. and i think in order for us to move past that we have to accept that you know i think there's yes. a misrepresentation um and a curation of of history you know i mean i'm a hist- i learned history at school and i also did it at a levels and it's it's it is it's very curated it's heavy it's heavily glorified to the point where we don't focus enough on on what happened in that colonization and what happened in the aftermath of that nobody yeah. speaks about
1: that the thing is it, it's, it's not interrogated at all you just learn about absolutely. it Like this is what happened this is what happened and then move on like there's no detail there's no actual ability to critique it and question why this happened why d- why mm-hmm. do we let yeah. it happen what can we do about it it's more just you know this is it there we go Let's but move
0: on. they'd rather have us you know critique and and study and analyze you know modern world history and th- which included the weimar republic and things like this and we applied i'm applying critical thought to the weimar republic you know what they did wrong what happened the pers- even the prosperity of germany you know you critique yeah. all these things but we never do it about ourselves.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't have to say that it's wrong that we did that, but I think there should have been a more inclusivity and a bit more of a wider worldview of wider historic events, which shaped and brought us to where we are today. Absolutely. Um, without having to negate any of the other historical events that happened like the Holocaust, obviously, you know, that was an
0: insane, um, unprecedented time. As a, as a nation, I think Germany learned a lot Learned, they, they learned so much from that event, and they're very open about it. They have an open conversation to about this it. Day, yeah. it till this day they, you know, they accept the fact that what happened was absolutely atrocious. They accept the fact that this man should never have been brought to power. But you could never have a similar conversation here. Never. Yeah. It just it doesn't happen. To critique yeah. um, a political figure like Winston Churchill created such an uproar. But nobody said he was a horrible person. They just said that he did certain things that were absolutely despicable to humanity. That's what they said. But there isn't, that, there isn't an open conversation here that doesn't tend to happen here. And I think as a nation, in order for us to move past this, there has to be a conversation about the roots of our wealth. There has to be a conversation about you know, this former glory and not all of it being that glorious. We have to have transparency in order for us to learn and grow. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, the footprints of the, the British Empire are still very present to this day. It just it, it needs to be spoken about. I mean, the fact that we all not, not too long ago found out that as a nation, we were paying off slave owners, the great slave owners debt. is That's right. Is yeah. Something that, you know, we really should learn about in school. It I think is. up
1: until yeah up until 2015 I think we were up still until doing.
0: 2015 <laughs> um yeah because, and, <laughs> and you think about that as descendants of slaves imagine you're still paying off your freedom but you refuse to correctly compensate the windbrush generation it, mm. it, it, there's a disproportion there, and I think you know these things need to be addressed and there needs to be an open conversation in order for us to move forward. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's just that.
1: yeah, and conversations
0: about reparations
1: have now been uh, once again brought to the fore. I know there were previously a yeah. few years back, but now it's become ever more prevalent. People are talking about mm-hmm. it and saying, you know, should we do it, should we not? Um, but of course, there are, as, as we'd imagine, logistical challenges around it. You know, those who mm-hmm. directly inflicted slavery are now dead tracing Mm -hmm. those lineages wouldn't necessarily make sense. We'd effectively be passing the buck on to someone who didn't commit slavery. And who would actually benefit from these reparations? There are also questions around whether it undermines, you know, black people's collective empowerment and agency by reducing them to victims of something that happened in the past. And I'm not saying that the history of slavery needs to be forgotten, if anything, I'm saying that needs to be taught, it cannot be forgotten. You know, things like decolonizing the curriculum for me personally is is fundamental to curbing ignorance and denialism that a lot of people tend to gravitate towards when conversations around slavery are brought to the fore. Mm. And like you say, you know, it's closer to um, achieving or recognizing it. So it's about acceptance, but reparations, you know, again, some people would bring the counter argument and say it indicts black people into a dark past. Um, But again, it's not something that can be forgotten. Um, It needs to be embedded within the curriculum so that this level of ignorance that we're seeing, the polarization between various beliefs um, and the extremism that has uh, come about as as a consequence of it needs to be essentially rewired so that we don't have these sorts of extremist ideologies and views around what's wrong and what's right. And come to mm-hmm. a more balanced judgment, and and you know without having an understanding and education around slavery and the impact and the result of it, which has led us to where we are today as a consequence of capitalism, basically, then there's no point really in in doing anything. And I think the curriculum definitely needs to be decolonized, and I think there needs to be a, a wider uproar at, at an institutional level, at policymakers level through government-backed schemes to change the curriculum? Because at the moment, there's a lot mm. of campaigning around it, but it seems to be very grassroots. And I think it needs to take, it needs to gain wider traction. And, and I hope that it people, does. yeah, take it
0: forward. Yeah, it does. I think for me, one of my biggest, um, my, one of my biggest qualms is the decolonization of the curriculum. I think that's something that, again, being a black British woman, having to sit in those classes and it be, saturated with stories of people who do not look like me who aren't from the same place as me I think it further perpetuates the stereotype that all Africa was good for because I am Nigerian by heritage that all Africa was good for was you know huts and and killing lions with spheres. and I think if you don't know your history yourself mm. and if you don't groundwork yourself it meant that you you know, would even you'd internalise that, and I think that then gives way to a sort of self-hate, and I think that's a big, uh, even wider issue, you know. And I think for me, I was lucky enough that I am quite, I'm very proud of my culture, and I'm very embedded in my culture, and so what that meant for me is that I, I almost had to undergo a double education of sorts. Mm-hmm. So it was learning enough about the curated, colonised curriculum that was given to me by the status quo. That was, you know, by the institution of school that said to me, right, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to learn in order for you to progress in life, you know? And I had to do that in order to succeed and to excel and to, you know, finish school. But I also had to educate myself about my culture. And I think that was an undertaking that was quite tough because there aren't many facilities for me to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. There isn't, like... When I was growing up in in Essex of all places, there wasn't a black history club there wasn't any any way for me to learn apart from food stories that my mum would tell me you know and I a research of sorts and I had to I had to study hard at it and I think for me, I got even luckier because it, I was amongst four people four black people in my whole year in the school, and one of those Um, people was my best friend and she happened to be from the same country as me. And we educated each other. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I got really, really lucky and we educated each other and we found solidarity in each other. But something that always occurs to me is that there's many kids that don't have that. There's many kids who Mm. were the lone black person in their whole year. And it was almost like you had to assimilate in order to progress in order to just get by. And I think for me, I will never forget being in my history lesson about slavery and my history teacher turned to myself, my best friend and another black girl who was in the room and said, don't set now it happened ages ago. Really? <laughs> and I remember that. Happen- I remember that happening so clearly. I could even tell you his name, but I'm not going to. And I thought, wow, like how, how are we not going to have this misconception of ourselves, and how are we not going to have this inferiority complex when the only stories you teach us about ourselves is when we were subjugated and you know into slavery? That's the only story that our curriculum yeah. tells us. So it doesn't yeah. tell you about the black is that people. All, is that all you are reduced down to?
1: Like is, is that, that all, all we are, are Everything rescued? else is erased. It's sort, of, it's sort of. Yeah, it feels as though like the narrative is just slavery and pre-slavery there was nothing. There was no civilization.
0: They don't even teach us about Windrush in school. No,
1: yeah, that was, that was new. They don't
0: teach you about the black people that fought in World War I or World War II. They don't, t- they don't tell you about any of these things. Nothing mm. tells you. There is no depictions of black people in our curriculum aside from as slaves and that is it. Yeah. And so for me, I think in order for you to progress I think education needs to be the the core focus it just it really does need to be yeah the, it absolutely best. and in regards to reparations I do feel like I think it is important indeed and I think it's something that should gain more traction however I think it would have to be it have to be certain gatekeepers I think mm-hmm. because I don't agree with the argument that it happened so long ago, because as we've already mentioned, I think, you know, slavery did happen so long ago, but it was the it was the descendants of these slave owners that had been profiting from slavery and the ending of slavery for years and years and years. And in the same regard, I think, you know, it does need to be the same way that the descendants will be gaining from mm-hmm. this horrific experience. Yes, it will be complicated because I think there's an issue of lineage. There's an issue of the time frame. There's the issue of how it be paid out. There's an issue of this I mean there's various issues. However, I do believe that it is. It's a conversation that needs to be had. I think it's a conversation that needs to be put in place with the right gatekeepers. I think it's a conversation that you know I worry may not really see us the spark that it needs just because it will be I think it would be a more of a long, longitudinal project. I think it's something mm. that will, you know, it will take yeah. time. Yeah. And I think it needs the right people to be committed to actually seeking justice. And I think that is something that transcends just a moment, you know? So yeah. but I do think it's something that is is key and I think needs to happen definitely.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I think fundamentally you can't deny the fact that racial inequality is, you know, pervades the whole world. You know, it's it's a global problem. It's a global pandemic, really. And um,
0: pandemic.
1: if we take yeah. a look for a moment at our transatlantic allies, a third of black boys born in the early 2000s will probably spend, you know, time in prison compared to just one in 17 white boys. Um, in 1968, black households in America earned around 60% as much as white households. What do you think the figure is now?
0: To be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that it's changed. That's that right. Month. Yeah, it's it's exactly the same. Um,
1: and yeah, you've spoken about reparations and how it could, you know, benefit and and bring justice to people who, you know, intergenerationally have have been at a disadvantage as a consequence Mm -hmm. of their ancestors having been slaves. There's no way people can deny that. That is literally a fact, an objective fact. Um, but when we think about the, the logistical issues surrounding reparations, I think, personally, I think what is really important is to eradicate economic inequality. I think that's the core of the problem here. You know, I've given you statistics like people, you know, black households earning less than white households. We've got the issue of, what else have we got the issue of? We've got housing segregation, which which has existed in America for decades. Things like integrated housing needs to be implemented, you know, Hold government-backed trust funds for, for kids, things like that, could really change that dynamic that puts black people at a disadvantage from Absolutely. their white counterparts. So yeah, I think there needs to be a wider conversation around economic inequality. And I don't know I genuinely don't know whether reparations is the answer, but I do think that it needs to be economic change.
0: There needs to be, I think, I think it needs to be a focus on, you know, the the root of this economic inequality and i think once you start to shed a light on that then it does give way to the greater conversation of systematic and institutional racism in this country Mm. and i think that then you know helps people and magnifies the issue of the fact that you know even simple things so i think once everything happened um in America with George Floyd I think the narrative or the go-to narrative for people here was that it wasn't as bad Mm. however black communities are historically over policed yes by by the police it's something that is well known it's something that I think I don't think I know not one black person not one black boy or man that has not been stopped by the police or asked a few questions by the police or been suspected of wrongdoing by the police mm. and I also even if even before we get to the point of over policing let's talk about institutional racism in schools you know how black black boys are less likely to be given a chance to you know amend their wrongdoing so the mm the rapidity in which they are excluded from school permanently before they can make amends is much higher than their white counterparts and I think when you give way to this self-fulfilling prophecy you have to understand that it isn't just that all black boys are bad or black kids don't perform as well in school it's that they are not given the chance to so I think that you know you have to give way to these conversations and you have to shed light on these conversations if you actually do want to see true change and I think exactly like you said reparations is a part of the conversation but we need to talk about economic inequality me to talk about institutional racism as it pertains to schools you know um to the police and even to the medical practice but that's a conversation for another day
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is a conversation a wider conversation as well around you know, people think that those who don't agree with us are by default against us. Mm -hmm. I do think that narrative needs to change because I think it could be a barrier to overcoming racial inequality. There's a tendency nowadays, especially in the last few years, I think social media is probably the reason for this, but there's a, it seems as though everything that we look at, all of our viewpoints, our opinions are centered around or seen through the lens of ideology and identity politics. And for want mm. of a better term, it seems like a bit of a culture war. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the focus needs to be on economic inequality, um, how black people and you know many other minorities are significantly disproportionately impacted by economic inequality compared to their white counterparts. Mm. And we need to build on economic policies which provide opportunity for those black kids in school you know Mm -hmm. you don't get the the advantages that other you know their white counterparts do i don't know i don't know whether you also would agree with me in thinking that the ideology around this separation identity politics might distract from that particular objective of eradicating economic inequality at at a racial level
0: um i think everything in moderation i think Mm. identity i think identity politics are necessary insofar as for so long people have been perpetuating the narrative that it doesn't matter that we're all the same right yeah in in stipulating that we are not the same and because we are not the same and because you are different from that than I am you have more privilege than I do and you've made more headway and it isn't just down to my capability that I'm in the position that I am in Mm -hmm. and you're you're that you're in so i think to a certain extent you have to you have to engage in identity politics in order to actually stipulate the fact that there is an issue here that there's there's almost you know an unfair disadvantage in in some capacity and i think that needs to be illuminated Mm. um I do think when we get into the, you know, you get into the judges and it does get quite political and it gets, there's a back and forth, that yes, it is more counterproductive, mm. but uh, to a certain extent, I do think it's important. Yeah. Um, however, having said that, it does get to a point where we have to say, okay, fine, we've illuminated an issue, how do we move forward? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I do think that at the end of the day, I think everything in moderation, you um, at the, I mean, so as a Black British woman, I have more privileges than I guess. A friend pointed out to me that you know, it, there needs to be more illumination on on on, you know, Black trans lives mattering just as much as exactly. you know, um, my life mattering or a Black man's life mattering. That you know that the violence and the intimidation and the crime level a hate crime level that is committed against you know black trans um, members of the trans community and the lgbtq community is is insane but it's not something that's spoken about enough and i think that's why we have to engage in identity politics sometimes yeah, we have because to the homogenization
1: happens. can mask other
0: people's other people's experiences stuff. absolutely yeah, it's like, yeah i think you can't really have a conversation about inequality until you know who it's in equal to and i think Mm, that's important that's right yeah 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 i do think to a certain extent it is quite important to have those conversations
1: yeah absolutely i definitely think it's very important to talk about various identities um, and ideologies as well just to highlight the significant disadvantage um, a lot of Mm -hmm. people do suffer from as a consequence of not being within the majority like that is what Mm -hmm. i guess is at the core of identity politics trying to Mm -hmm bring to light some of these experiences of people who, you know, previously would have been overshadowed by the majority. So yeah, it's, it's, it's about, you know, yeah. Fundamentally it's about democracy. It's about, um, yeah, representing the population yeah. as a whole to the best way that we can. That um, but we also, that yeah. But also appreciating that it, it shouldn't be a, a rhetoric, which divide divides, People with different opinions. Um, I think, yeah, I think stimulating debate needs to be critical, and we need to take into account various different voices. Um, And it's very Mm -hmm. difficult to do that when, um, I guess, we're stuck in our own echo chambers. And I, I am myself a culprit for that. I do that all the time, and I'm trying very hard to, you know, associate or talk to people who have different views to me, just so that I can understand whether that strengthens my own view or makes me see a different perspective, which I otherwise would not have seen
0: nonetheless I think it's beneficial for for everyone involved everyone yeah absolutely I think you know like we mentioned earlier I think it does become quite self-absorbed if you don't listen to other people's worldviews and you don't listen to the experiences at the end of the day yes you know this is why people end up in the narrative of but all lives matter and you know it's it's that it's that conversation of Yes, but in order for my life to matter and for well, sorry, in order for black life in order for all lives to matter, my life must matter. And at the moment it's my life that's, you know, at in in danger per se. And I think, you know, it's it's important that we have these conversations. I mean, like they say, iron sharpens iron. So it, it's okay if you're you feel very strongly about your view, but you have to be open to listen to another person's view. Take it in. And I think it will either you know, do, it will do one of two things: it will either strengthen your own resolve, or it will make it will illuminate and educate you. And there's nothing wrong with either of those things. So I think you know it, it is better that we engage in this debate, we engage in these in these conversations, as difficult as they might be, in order for us to really progress in our worldviews, in the way that we treat each other, and in, and living in a society that is supposed to be a democracy. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree in the sense that yeah, we need to. Be open to various perspectives but also respect that you know not everyone's views are going to align with our own and it's, Indeed. You, you don't need to try and persuade someone to agree with you mm. they might they might just not want to agree with you and that's absolutely fine you settle on that and say yeah, yeah I, I respect your view but i don't agree with you and vice versa i guess that's mm. that's, that's the best way to have a fruitful conversation without you know attacking someone per mm. you know taking personal attacks out on them or calling them names or which is what we're seeing a lot of the time Um, with online debates as well which definitely needs to
0: change indeed which is Um, why I've removed myself from a lot of it to be honest with you (laughs) because it does it's tiresome it's it's a tiresome discourse if we're not really listening to one another so
1: yeah absolutely and part of why brown don't frown started was so that stories of underrepresented women could be told openly without fear of judgment i know that you do have a story to tell a story which when i first read about on your blog really stayed with me for a long time and i thought about it a lot and if you feel comfortable sharing it with brown don't frown's listeners today the floor is all yours take your time in your own words um And yeah, tell us uh, the story about your dad in America.
0: Um, Okay, so I am, like I said, I am Nigerian by heritage, British by um, citizenship. And so when my parents um, migrated to the UK, it was so that they could have their kids here and, you know, Graft in order to give each other and their family a a better life. Um, And so, in order to do this, um, they were torn between whether they should move to the UK or move to um, America. He was working in a medical lab. He was killed on site at work. We here in the UK, my mum being 27 years of age at the time, so younger than I am now. she wasn't given many answers Mm. she wasn't given much support she wasn't given much comfort or she didn't see anything that mirrored her outrage and her grief anywhere Mm. in her experience and she fell into what many black women have to fall into which is the strong black woman trope. And she yeah. had to pick herself up. There was no time to really grieve. There was no time to, you know, really fall into the depression that anyone would have fallen into at that age with two kids. She had to continue on. And I think it was hard because as a family, you do you move on but then it's very clear that you know there's the ghost of things unsaid and of things unsolved and there was a sort of there was a sort of confusion as to why nobody else seemed to care and that was it it was it was like he was here today gone tomorrow and and that was that was it and I think you know you never want to minimise anybody else's experience but as I've grown and I've seen situations where crimes are committed against people who do not look like myself the media is way more invested there's much more of an outcry there's you know answers are are looked for or searched for and And justice, to some extent, needs to be served. Mm. And my family didn't really have that, you know. And so till this day, I'm surrounded by questions. I'm surrounded by, you know, um, a sense of displacement. I would definitely say a big sense of displacement because it meant that not only did my story not matter, but... It was almost like society said that his life didn't really matter. It was it happened, sorry for your loss, and then we just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all too often, that is the story that we hear, and it's something that really um, it's something that really triggered me about the latest slayings that we saw across the transatlantic in that how many more times are we going to tell somebody whether it's at the hands of the police or otherwise that black bodies and black lives aren't as impactful Mm. as white ones how often are we going to brush it aside and mislabel it black on black crime or uh, uh, a phrase that isn't coined for any other demographic, might I add, or you know, street violence or gun violence is something that is part and parcel of our community. When it isn't, my father was an up, it, he was an upstanding man, a hard-working man, a loving man. He was somebody who cared about his family deeply, a, a Christian man. But I shouldn't have to list off all these. I shouldn't have to give you this list to to convince you that he mattered in his world. A- yeah prove his worth I should not have to do that he was a human he was a father and he mattered and and that's that but more often than not you know you see you hear these stories and you see these stories of 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 families black families who go through such heartache and it's in the news for barely a day and it's out of the news cycle nobody cares any longer I mean Belly Majinga, when that happened that broke my heart because all through lockdown we heard of people spitting at police and and getting time even though the police they didn't contract any illness they didn't die but they were given time for harassing police officers yet nobody has received any sort of sanction for what happened to that that lady or her family or the fact that she has an 11 year old daughter at home who now doesn't have her mother and I think for me this period in time became very triggering because you sit and you think how much longer are we going to have to convince you of our humanity yeah how much longer are we going to have to you know to protest and to uproar and and cry so that you can see us with the same value and the same worth that you apply to our white counterparts and i think that's the conversation that's the part of the conversation that really hit me the most is that it's been almost 30 years almost not quite 30 years but almost 30 years since this tragedy befell my family and i think it's unfortunate to say that we're still treated with the same reckless morality that he was given in the sense that it was it it, nobody seemed to nobody really seemed to care nobody really seemed to want the same answers nobody really seemed to want that need for justice and i i think that at a certain point we we have to do better we have to do better we can't we can't turn a blind eye we can't say oh that's sad and continue to eat our dinner you know we, we need to <laughs> yeah. you know which is what tends to happen people watch the news they say that's sad and there's it's almost a it's almost a desensitization to the tragedy that befores black families and that is not to say that tragedies don't before other demographics that's not what we're saying here what we're saying here is that black families tend to have to suffer it alone, you know there is no justice there's there's no ramifications there's no sanctions there's no there's there's no humanity to it at all and I think you know at the end of the day we we just have to do better mm. you matter, but so do we, you know, and I think that's what we're saying here, and that's why it really it was tough. It was it was tough to speak about because I haven't really spoken about it openly before. I mean, I've I've known you for years and we've never yeah. had the conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at a point, you, you do. Like I said, you know, it, it's time for change. We can't treat we can't treat black lives and black bodies so fleetingly. We can't. We can't. Whether it's black men or women. I mean, at the end of the day, Breonna Taylor in America was killed in cold blood by police and people know who did it and these men are still walking freely being paid in their jobs like it it, you can't tell me that all lives matter there's no way you can say that because if her life mattered they would be in prison right now Mm. i just it's time for change we can't say that these these acts of violence and these tragedies can can continue to go unanswered and unspoken for we we can't do that any longer and
1: yeah yeah. absolutely and grief is something that you know really defines us as human beings you know without grief Mm -hmm. would we even be human beings and Mm -hmm. the fact that the underlying reasoning i'm assuming behind why your dad's you know trial or retribution or I guess for want of a better term justice for Mm -hmm. his killing wasn't brought to the fore is because clearly there's this you know implied understanding that people or grief you know the, the extent of someone's grief and suffering and and giving the magnitude and the time for it is dependent on your race and that is an absolute tragedy um mm-hmm. to our humanity that people can compartment compartmentalize grief depending mm-hmm. on whether or not you are black or white whether you're you know rich or poor but sadly that is how people you know humans behave there seems to be this obsession with you know I guess kicking people when they're down and that's just so horrible when you actually put it into words and reflect on it because you know everyone is a human being at the end of the day as cliche as that sounds and everyone grieves you know grief isn't you know based on a hierarchy or a spectrum or this person's grieving more this person needs more sympathy or this person's grieving less you know grief is very personal and everyone grieves to you know in different stages and the fact that people can be undermined in that way over a death someone's actually died um you know it really just makes you I guess it just it makes me shiver really I don't, I don't really know how these things can happen and I'm so sorry that you never got your closure um that you that you so deserve about what happened to your dad it must be so heart-wrenching having to go through that on a daily basis and being reminded of it um, especially yeah. when things like this happen
0: yeah definitely yeah. I think um like I said I mean I've been writing for myself for other publications for a, a number of years but I think I've always felt this weight <laughs> you know it, it, it does it follows you and something that I've learned you know in my own experience and also in the experience of some of my closest friends is that you know time doesn't actually heal all wounds mm. it really does I think that's a common misconception mm. I think you just learn to you live with it and sometimes you learn to just ignore it mm. um and numb yourself to its effects yeah. and um when you know this murder of George Floyd happened it, it did it triggered something in me and I found it quite cathargic to to write about it. I mm. it to write about it because it felt like you know how can we possibly justify the fact that this happened that people are able to watch this and it's not until there's this mass sort of gathering and this massive this massive uproar that people actually sought justice it, how, can, how can we justify that and for me I I sat there and I thought about how you know you carry this weight on your shoulder for a number of years because me, I I don't I don't remember much, and so it's almost it's 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 a grief on two fronts. It's on one front that you know this horrific horrific thing happened, but also that it's the grief of what yeah. I could have had.
1: Yeah, you know, and never having
0: the answer. Absolutely, and you know, you always say, oh well, you know, there's not many black bad in black households but there's also there's a reason for that you know it's not always that you know an it, it again it, it's a loop it's a cycle you know it's because they are the police it's the self-fulfilling prophecies it's all of these things that you know cultivate this narrative and I think you need to understand that you know at the end of the day you you think about the narrative that you see for example if I turn on a Netflix movie and it's the the father-daughter dynamic that you don't have and you think about why and then you carry that with you throughout different stages in life so I did I found it a release to talk about it and to write about it and it he wasn't the focal point at all because again there are other stories that need to be heard but it was just that you know that you need People as a whole, we need to remember that when tragedy like this strikes, there's a family that's left behind that has to pick up the pieces, and they matter too, you know. Absolutely. And that's what I wanted yeah. to kind of yeah. bring light to is that the lack of justice it, it it does have a lasting effect. It really does. Yeah, it really does. And the thing is we
1: disassociate ourselves
0: from mm-hmm. traumatic
1: events you know we look at someone suffering human suffering on television you know, it's, it's a commodification of it and we look at it and we think oh this is tragic this has happened watch it mm-hmm. and it because we're so nowadays because of how much online presence there is on, on all types of content we're just it's all about instant gratification you know, we have seen something mm-hmm. we're mildly affected by it you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's well removed from us. So then we think, oh, well, I've, I've watched it now. Let's move on. That's literally how we perceive things. And it is such a shame mm-hmm. that, you know, we don't take the time to reflect. And and as you said, think about it. It's the- scary as well, to be honest. It's actually quite yeah.
0: scary. It is. Yeah,
1: it is. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it must have been very difficult for you and you haven't spoken about it openly, I know with a lot of people. Um and, and I guess writing about it, as you said, was cathartic and it was, I guess, a stepping stone to you um talking about it more openly. And I hope it has been a bit of a I guess release for you to talk about it to someone else.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I mean thank you for providing this space for me to do so. Um, but yeah, it has it's been a release and I think you know sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation it's an uncomfortable topic but being able to feel that you know you can speak about it and that you know your voice can be heard Mm. i think yeah it does It, it 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 relieves the burden even if it's just slightly because at the end of the day the situation is still the situation but to be told that your story matters and to feel you know that a validation in, in your grief whether it is from you know a year ago six months ago five years ago or almost 30 years ago i think is always you know, quite healthy and, and really pleasant to hear
1: so yeah yeah and thank you for doing that and for your time um well i guess that brings our podcast session to an end for today um thank you very much crystal for coming on i really um appreciate it and i i hope that the listeners are able to i guess reflect i think the purpose of this entire episode was really just to reflect and think um more widely and think externally um putting ourselves in the shoes of other people um it's something that I, i'll be doing i think that's a big take home for me from this podcast and it has been um, very insightful and very informative on many different levels. I think I'm still taking it in and I think that I probably will do for for some time um, because we've <laughs> discussed a lot and it's all been super helpful and I guess uplifting in a sense. You know, when you tell your story, however sad it may be, it may empower someone else to feel strengthened at your courage or at your ability to to maintain your strength through your family and through yourself as well. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much for having me and um, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we are having these conversations and to be on a platform that is, you know, centered around, you know, the voices of black and brown people, black and brown women um, in particular is, is so important because there aren't enough of those spaces in the mainstream and in mainstream society as a whole. Mm. So to be able to come on here and have these conversations and to, you know, shed light on my experience per se, I think, you know, it, it is. It, it's. It's a. It's a great opportunity, and I, I just hope that we can continue to have these conversations and continue to shed light on, you know, the state of our society in the UK. Mm. Um, as much as yeah, we are a progressive country, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done, and a lot of that is stemmed in realization of the work that needs to be done, as opposed to you know, what the misconceptions are. So yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Absolutely, thank you. Uh, until next time bye thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode if you found this discussion or topic interesting and you want to share your views we'd love to hear from you i'm so grateful to those of you who have taken the time to leave me comments reviews and messages about your thoughts on the podcast it's really helped inform my direction for this season. Keep your comments coming. I really do love them. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Please do join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts I'd be super grateful if you could leave me a rating and review as this helps the podcast garner further traction. Please like, share and subscribe. Until next time, thank you.